back to the Two Pointers Podcast. I'm Trevor Everett, uh, and today we're here. Like I told you last week, we're going to start talking about NBA again. I know college basketball has been awesome. Had some great guests lately, uh, but I've got two really awesome guests today to talk about uh, the NBA's biggest surprises, as well as we'll talk about a little bit about the playoff structure um, if the playoffs ended today as of, I think we said we were going to do it as of Monday, whatever today's date is, January 17th. It'll be Monday the 16th. When you're hearing this, uh, you'll be able to hear and see uh, based on basketball references what the playoffs would be today um, for YouTube audience. I know I'm sorry I didn't update the whiteboard, but um, <laughs> without further ado, I'm going to introduce these two. I'm excited to talk to them. Josh and Nick from Queen City Control Room, also part of the Stadium Scene Podcast Network. Shout out to Stadium Scene. Uh, wanted to talk today uh, about a couple of things, obviously, like we said, as well as I've got something for them as they'll explain what they are and who they are. Uh, it has to do with them and their show at the end. So, fellas, first of all, how are y'all? Introduce yourselves. Uh, let my listeners know where you can find you, that kind of thing. Yeah, so we're Josh and Nick. We have the Queen City Control Room podcast. We pretty much just base it on the NBA, what's going on. We focus a little bit on the Hornets because we're both Hornets fans, but we try not to be too biased to look at it as a general picture. Um, we kind of came up with the Queen City Control Room name because we're located in Buffalo, but we have ties to Charlotte and both are referred to as the Queen City. So it was kind of a double positive there. So that's kind of where the name came from. Nick created it. So you can thank him for that. Uh, yeah, Josh said uh, we're, we're brothers. Josh just went first. Uh, I'm Nick. Um, yeah, it's been a long time coming. I think we're only, you know, three months into podcasting. So we're still trying to kind of figure out the ways. I'm sure, you know, Trevor from being a little over two years into the, into the experience. And it's been pretty great you know roller coaster figuring out what works what doesn't what you want to focus on um how much you want to prep versus how much you kind of just want things to you know come off the cuff as you're talking about whatever interests you might have like josh said we're we're focused on basketball generally focused on nba we do sprinkle some college basketball in here and there in our last episode, we did an NFL wild card round, you know, preview just because the Bills were playing and a lot of great games going on over the weekend. So a little bit of everything. We just figured, you know, we we spend so much time talking about basketball. Why not turn it into a podcast and, you know, put it out for other people to listen to as well? I have to know you mentioned the uh, Bills wild card part of it. Uh, Panthers fans or Bills fans? I'm confused. Bills fans. Definitely okay. Bills fans. Definitely Bills fans. Nice. The part part of the reason with the the Hornets fans as well is we don't have a uh, we don't have a right. professional basketball team in Buffalo, right? Correct. We have we used to have the Braves, obviously. Um, they're so now. So why not Clippers fandom? I oh, know. I'm just kidding. I'm just. That's kidding. that's that's a good question. It's an interesting tie, though. I mean, Buffalo they left what in the '70s, so it's not like you both are. And I'm assuming you're you're not that old, but yeah. I mean, if you are, then great. I mean, Buffalo Braves fans, here we go, right? But <laughs> right. That's an interesting uh, tie, though. I mean, why the Hornets? Well, for me, I think my wife's family lives outside of Charlotte. And so I didn't really have a team. I was kind of just watching as much as I could and just kind of taking it in. I was like, why not just adopt them? I mean, I don't know. It pretty much was just a, a good fit. And then I texted Nick. I was like, I think I'm going to be a Hornets fan now. And he was like, okay, I'm on board too. Let's just full send it. Go for it. Where? <laughs> how old were we talking here? Like, we're like not as much, maybe didn't really have a team up until you said your wife's family. So like how recent yeah. is this decision? I'm just curious because their timeline, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit, but their timeline as a franchise has been 
in and out of the city <laughs> and this and this and that. There's been a lot of uh, mm-hmm. interesting history. Yeah. So how, how long are we talking Hornets fan, Wes? And then we'll keep Just rolling. a couple of years at this point. I mean, maybe nice. less than five years. Just not a super long time, but enough to to take it all in, become diehard fans. I will say, uh, as my former co-host, uh, the, the long-time listeners know who I'm talking about, my former co-host uh, would say, God bless you. So, um, <laughs> But <laughs> we'll go ahead and get started in talking about the uh, the biggest surprises we'll kind of lead with because the playoff picture thing is interesting. Uh, obviously, a lot can change. I think the surprises is, is good because we're almost at the halfway mark. This is a spoiler for my audience. Mid-season awards coming in two weeks. Uh, but we will talk a little bit about the biggest surprises. Um, if you guys end, end up bringing up awards, well, I'll be very tongue-in-cheek. I'll be a little uh, careful there. But um, without further ado, who would like to go first with their biggest surprise or one of their biggest surprises of this season so far? I'll, I'll go first. I kind of thought of this topic. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, you have your mid-season award show coming up. We'll probably do something similar when we record in a couple weeks here. Um, Fan so- favorite, by the way. Fan favorite every year, all three years. <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely. People love it every time, and I'm like, this is only half the year. Why are we so excited about awards <laughs> 42 games in? It doesn't make any sense, but I get it. So For sure. No, yeah, try to take a little bit of a different spin on it here and just think, you know, going back to the beginning of the season, coming in with certain expectations and measuring yourself halfway through the season and, and what those expectations kind of leveled out to be. So I think it's an interesting topic and there's probably a a different variety based on what basketball you've been watching, what teams you follow, who you like and everything. So I can start. Um, I have a couple different things that surprised me as, as I'm sure you both do as well, but perhaps one of the biggest things for me is the Warriors. Um, Obviously going to the finals last year on the path that they were on and obviously winning the championship over the Celtics, right? And then going into the offseason, they didn't really lose all that much. They lost Gary Payton. They lost Otto Porter. but And, and not that those guys weren't um, consequential or important to the team. But when you think about the Warriors, I don't think those are you know the first two guys that you're thinking about. They're not logging the most minutes on the team or anything. So I think coming back into the season this year, you kind of maybe expect them to be up near the top in the Western conference. And they were um, initially, and they've kind of been on a little bit of a roller coaster this year, but they are um, not doing so hot right now. <laughs> um, they're seven. And, and I don't know exactly why that is. Um, they're 17 and five at home and five and 17 on the road. Um, so, you know, obviously teams like playing in front of their home courts and and that does provide a little bit of an advantage, but so many of these players spend, you know, half the year on the road. It shouldn't be, I, it, it's tough to see this big of a discrepancy between home and away records, um, especially for a team that should be as good as the Warriors are. I think another issue for them probably is just the lack of depth, especially with some of the injuries that they've had to face this year. I know Steph was out for, I don't know what he ended up being out for six to eight weeks, maybe. Um, but coming into the season, I know they were looking to get a lot of contribution from James Wiseman, Jamichael Green and everything. And and those two really haven't showed up for Golden State. Nonetheless, they're obviously a, a pretty loaded roster, at least with the starting fives in, in, you know, Jordan Poole coming off the bench, generally speaking. So it's probably one of the biggest surprises for me is kind of where the Warriors are landing right now in the standings and, and amongst um, the rest of the Western Conference. We'll talk about it later, but as of yesterday, they were in 
eighth place in the Western Conference. So just just in the playing tournament. Josh, I'm uh, curious your thoughts on this because I have a couple of things. I don't have like this grand answer, but I do think some of the numbers tell tell a little bit of a tale. And obviously you mentioned steps out four to six weeks or whatever it was. It ended up being yeah. just over a month. So Josh, I'm curious where you are on this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's generally surprising too how they've started out the year, but um, a lot of times for that team, they're so, so experienced and have, and have had so many playoff runs together. It comes down to like what they do in the playoffs this year to really see if there was a major change from last year for me. Like if they can come out and put a run together near the end of the season and get hot in the playoffs again, it will start to seem like the same team over and over. I think they're fully capable of it too. I think that's the part that people mm-hmm. are like, obviously the Steph injury happened at the time it happened and we can't control or predict what's going to happen with injury luck for any team for the next type 41 games. But give or take, I, I think there's a couple of things that we're seeing. I I almost don't even want to touch the home away record with a 90 foot pole because it is so alarmingly different <laughs> that I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know what? Maybe they just stink on the road. I, you know, some teams just stink on the road. Like that's just a thing that happens every year. And we're kind of like, you know, they won the championship and they were like four, you know, point uh, four on the road or whatever, strength of schedule wise. So a couple of things that caught my eye with the Warriors. Funny enough, you said that I pulled their basketball reference page up immediately. Funny enough that you say this. I had this conversation with somebody like three days ago. So I was like in that same vein. I told you I had like 50 and I ended up giving you only one, <laughs> thank goodness. So I've had this conversation with Warriors fans and not Warriors fans alike. And whether you like basketball reference or not, and if you're a basketball fan, not you specifically, but people in general, people should at least like it a little bit. They do have some stuff that is really helpful for understanding what things are happening. Their expected win-loss on basketball reference is 21 and 23. So they're one rec- one win or one loss away from what they're expected versus what they are mm. now. I'm looking at today's record. Obviously, when we do the playoff picture thing in a moment, it'll be yesterday's record, whatever, right? But they're, expect- they're only one-, one loss off of or one win off of that expected win-loss record. Less about that, I just think it's intriguing that sometimes they're just right about a lot of things, and the way they take that into consideration is really complicated. I'm not going to divulge into that. People can go click on that and see what that entails, but um, it's pretty accurate in terms of historical data, but their offensive rating is just mid right now in the league. That's not a pun or a joke. They're 15th out of 30th. Their defensive rating uh, is 19th out of 30th, and they're averaging the fifth most points in the league, and they're giving up the 26th most points in the league. So I think it right now it's just their defense isn't good, and it is what it is. I think that's a simple answer for me why they're not doing well. Steph's been out for a while. I can't just sit there and point to that number and go, that's exactly why. Um, they're also the number one team in pace. So I think we're seeing that young guys, this young core at least, can't play defense yet. And I think we're just seeing mm-hmm. the fact that they had to play a lot without Steph out there, right? And even Clay, I get, you know, he was still there. Wiggins is out for a lot of that time too. I think that's a really yep. interesting piece piece of it but long story mm-hmm. short i think it's i think the pace and the points per game and the defense all together add up to re- make me give me exactly what my eye test does and say hey they're playing the young guys they're winning when they can it seems like at home clearly i think that maybe ties into that so young team running really fast can't play a lot of defense i i think they'll be fine come come you know we're we're recording this what late january it'll probably be fine come early march sure sure I don't I don't have any concerns that they're gonna miss the the playoffs or if they make the play in, they're not gonna advance out of that into, you know, a full seven game series. But you know, we don't have to talk too in depth about the the home away record because that is only one of the eight million different, you know, factors we can consider in talking about the team. But just on a very basic level, 
if you know you're in one of the bottom four of the top eight seeds going into the playoffs you are going to have that extra game on the road and if you have a team that's really really struggling on the road you know that that can certainly play into it but if there are any teams in the NBA that have the experience that have been to the finals and know how to navigate the playoffs, it probably is the golden state warriors. So a little bit of a misnomer, but um going to be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out, but definitely surprising given where they ended up last season, for sure. Josh, your next surprise yeah, for sure. or your surprise or anything else on the warriors you might have. <laughs> I'll just, I'll keep it moving, jump into my surprise here. So I kind of went down the same route and I was like, what team has kind of come out this season and been a surprise to me. And as someone who watches a lot of games on the East Coast, a lot of times the West Coast teams end up being on the TV a lot just because they end up with standalone games at like 11 p.m. And that's just the way it goes. It's the reason I've watched the most Kings and Nuggets games I've ever watched in my entire life <laughs> 40 games. Just want to be true. clear about that. Very that's true. exactly why. And I'm glad you said that. I was going to say my most surprising team – for me this year has been the Sacramento Kings. They're 24 and 18 right now. Light the beam. They're fourth in the yes. West. Um, they started the season projected to have 33 total wins. And now their projection has moved up to 44. And that that's a considerable jump halfway through the season. And they're doing a great job moving the ball, um, getting out in the court and running. They average the most points per game. They average 120 a game right now. And their offense has just been clicking so well this year. It, it's hard to watch them and not think about all the Kings teams that have been bad in the past and not just doubt them immediately just for that. Nick, I have, I'm, I've, I'm going to be very short and sweet on mine. So I'd love to hear what you have to say first. I don't really have a lot to add here. I think just like Josh said, it, it's a, it's a massive surprise. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be that surprised it was at the trade deadline year when it was at the trade deadline last year. Sorry. Um, when they made the trade right for um, De'Aaron Fox and, and obviously they have Sabonis now and coming into the season, maybe expectations should have risen for Sacramento in terms of where they were placed and everything. But I don't think, I think just based on how the last, what is it? 16 or 17 years since they've been in the playoffs. I think based on how that span of time is gone, whatever that year was to yeah, 17 se- years So 17 years ago, you know, I think it's what the longest playoff drought in pro sports right now, I, just coming into the season, regardless of their roster makeup, regardless of the moves they were anticipated to make. I don't think people gave them a lot of a, a lot of a, hope coming into the year maybe except for outside the city of sacramento but it's um been pretty awesome to watch them you know put a put the pretty good run together yeah i'm not gonna beat a dead horse my listeners are gonna hate that so what i'm gonna say (laughs) is that by no means did i predict this but josh does not give himself enough credit my josh my former josh unfortunately Mm -hmm. um does not give himself enough credit for the greatest segment he's ever come up with called saving sacramento Um, okay started it last year when they basically were like screw Rashawn Holmes and we're not going to sign the guy. And we were like, that's stupid or resign him or whatever the contract structure thing was. And then we ran through it all the way through the draft. And for whatever reason, in the last 12 months, they made the most best, the most best decision. I wanted to be clear. So it's not a bunch of word vomit. The most best decisions they've made in the 16 years, right? That's like a string of things that have just happened. This is a bonus trade. And, you know, all the, the Keegan Murray pick instead of Jaden Ivey, even though that was the clear, obvious Kings pick, was the guy that didn't want to play there. Let's just take the guy and figure it out. 
you know, that kind of thing. So long story short, I didn't predict them by any stretch. Let me just be completely transparent with both of you. <laughs> I did not pick them to finish fourth in the West because when we talk about the playoffs, they would be the they would have a home a home playoff game in the first round. Like that's just crazy you know, mind blowing, right? <laughs> so um I just think it's funny how far we've come because there's like this old video meme, if I can find it, I'll put it up on the screen, but the Kings fan running out of the arena after the last couple of games last year. And he's like, we're going to go 40 and whatever. Like he said, like 40 and 42. And I'm like, are we celebrating a losing record in Sacramento? Like that's how dire it's gotten where th- mm-hmm. and, and that's really just the major turnaround. It's a testament to Mike Brown. I think he's honestly deserves more credit than anybody in that organization right now, other than maybe the people that did make those decisions recently are going to be wrong. But um, Fox has been unbelievable, especially in the clutch. They've been winning those games that they haven't been. Mm-hmm. He deserves – I don't care what the freaking voting thing that came out the other day about the executives where they vote on who right now is leading in those award categories and stuff. I think it's stupid. De'Aaron Fox was second in that award. He was, he's number one in clutch scoring, and it's not even close. He's like mm-hmm. 18 percentiles behind the next guy so, or in front of the next guy. So um, by no by no stretch that I like think this was the capability of the Kings, but I do think there's a lot of they, – they work well. They play defense together really hard. They play hard for their coach, and I think that matters for a young team. Um, they were a semi-low-hanging fruit for me because I do talk about them a lot more than I probably should. So that was why I'm kind of glad one of you two did it. Um, the other low-hanging fruit for me was the Denver Nuggets because I picked them to finish first in the West. That's not my biggest surprise. That's just a – hey, there's a reason I didn't bring up the Denver Nuggets, and my <laughs> listeners will appreciate me for that. So um, I would like to throw this out at you guys, not team-specific because I think I gave you the two just now, the Nuggets and the Kings. Those were kind of like what I would have gone with otherwise, but I tried to think outside the box as best I could because I told you I had way too many. So the biggest surprise for me, just the landscape of the league thing, is the amount of scoring, like the high clip of scoring. I've been avoiding this conversation. for. Th- I told you all before we started this, I didn't tell you what it was. But I've been avoiding this conversation because I don't have an answer. And that's not being a lazy podcaster. That's just I don't know the answer, and I don't really think there is one. So I think we need to try to sit here and collectively figure it out. I have a couple of things I want to give you um, stat and comparison-wise to kind of spark the conversation. We can go from there. Um, in 2022-23, so this season, there are five players, and this is as of today at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon for the game. So I did today's stats. But uh, five players over 30 points per game, follow me here, is Luka, Embiid, Tatum, Giannis, and SGA. So you have five mm-hmm. guys in the 30s, and we have played 40 games. Like that is – I think if that was two weeks ago, maybe even a week and a half ago, I'd have been like, okay, maybe let's get to the halfway point and see. But these guys are all completely above 30. And then you have 10 guys that are averaging between 25 and 30 – points per game. These are all guys that have played 30 games or more, so which is the comparative league average to what it would be for the whole season. You have uh, Siakam, Kyrie, he just made it, I think, DeRozan, Jalen Brown, Trey Young, John Morant, Donovan Mitchell, Damian Lillard, KD, and LeBron. So that's 15 people averaging 25 or more and some into that 30 range. Comparative to last year, um, if they played minimum 58 games, Embiid was the only guy over 30. And then nine guys from 25 to 30, you had Steph, Mitchell, Booker, Tatum, Joker, DeRozan, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, and Giannis. So before I even talk about like the comparative league stats year over year, thoughts on what you've seen with the scoring, you guys? Any any like any hypothesis of any kind would help me at least process what I've seen for forty games because I'm genuinely confused. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible to see year over year. It seems to be one of the leading conversations, like on with anyone that talks basketball right now. Just all the 40-point games, 50-point games, everything. And I've seen a lot of people talk about like, oh, 
it's because we have the most talent in the league, which is something I think, but um, it's hard because year over year, like even last year, there wasn't that many. And it's not like the rookies coming in to push the numbers up. Like it's the same people for the most part as last year, putting up even bigger numbers. So it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around for sure. For one thing. By the way, I by no means want us to come up with an answer because I don't think there is one answer. And that's why I just want to, this is just yeah. a free dialogue. Let's figure out where we are. Nick, what do you think? Where are we at? I don't, I don't know, man. This is tough. Um, is 40 the new, like 30? Like, is that what we've reached? Is that just like a normal benchmark? I think, I think it is, man. Um, I feel like, you know, 10 years ago, people weren't, not, you know, people weren't, it, it, it was, it was headline grabbing to drop 40. Now it seems every night you have at least a handful of players dropping 40. And I I don't know what specifically accounts for that. We debated this on the, on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, is it uh, a breakdown of defense? Is it, is it increased pace, better efficiency? Is it, is it, is it a large, is it in large part due to, you know, the evolution of the three point shot and how many players are actually taking the three point shot versus just, you know, point and shooting guards and everything. I there's, it's going to be impossible to pinpoint an answer, but I think by and large, the, the undercurrent here is just the evolution of the game. I was looking up a couple stats about this recently as well. And so this, this isn't, um, these aren't statistics as of today, but 10 seasons ago, nine people were averaging 20 points a game and nobody had notched 30. So we're talking the 2020 to 2012 to 2013 season, right? Uh, this year, Miami's at least as of six days to go was averaging 108 points a game. 10 seasons ago, that would have led the league in scoring this year. We had one player, obviously Donovan Mitchell drop a 70 piece. Luca dropped a 60 piece and 11 players have dropped 50 this season. I mean, these are just unheard of numbers and I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you, honestly. So comparatively, you mentioned there's a lot of factors that might go into it. And then I did the same thing, not necessarily the, I love the 20, you know, whatever the comparison sure. was 10 years ago. I love those because it's like, it is a true testament to how the league, I think there was a really good book a few years ago about this. Um, if I can find it again, once I'll for YouTube, it'll make people watch it on YouTube. I'll put it on the screen, but it was a really good book about how the NBA scoring and stuff changed and how, the rules and Steph's changed, and I, I don't remember who it was by. Shame on me, but um, I looked it up. So you mentioned the year over year thing earlier, Josh. Uh, I have a couple of things that caught my eye. Not everything did I pluck because that would have been ridiculous for the sake of reading it out loud. But field goal attempts per game are up 0.1 over last year. Now, granted, full sample size versus 40 games, but it, it's at least enough to have this conversation. Uh, three point attempts per game are down 0.9. So again, really nothing. Uh, free throw attempts per game up 1.8 per game, despite the rule change last year, which I think is kind of interesting. At least need to make sure that asterisk is marked, like Trey Young, right. Donovan Mitchell, some of those guys that were doing the things with the fouls against <laughs> Harden. Um, if Donovan Mitchell wasn't doing that, I apologize, but I, there was a lot of those shooting guards that were just doing that and definitely doing those those checking things. Um, points per game is only up 3.5, but in the grand scheme of things, that actually is a lot. Um, pace factor, uh, which estimates pos uh, possessions per 48 whatever obviously it's not a huge thing to react to it's only up 1.2 but it is up and then offensive ratings at 1.9 comparatively so i want to like almost bring this up just to be like cool put the bookmark now so that 
I'll screenshot the numbers in 40 games at the end of the year, send it both to you guys and be like, hey, they went down or they went up or we'll have that conversation again, right? Because I, I don't think it's enough data to go, hmm, interesting. But I just – something's I, – I haven't deep dive into the defensive part of it. I'd like to get into a second spectrum and kind of play around with it. But I don't know. I, I'm completely perplexed. So I just, that was honestly, I did not expect this conversation to end up in any place constructively. I just wanted to be like, uh, I'm confused and I just want to publicly be confused. So uh, I would love to, anything else or anything based on those numbers that kind of stick out to you, maybe. For me, nothing, nothing on the numbers. I think it'll be interesting to see how those kind of play out for the rest of the season. Just um, as far as like the eye test goes and, and gut feelings, just watching the game. I, I have a feeling that the numbers will play this out, especially if you take a look at the, the defensive ratings and, and statistics across the league. I feel like when I'm watching basketball in terms of, and in, in trying to think about this in the context of why are so many more points being scored this season, it's not really that there's a, dif- a breakdown in, in the defense. Um, I think it really is just the evolution of the offensive game. I could be totally wrong. Like I said, this is just a gut call from watching, you know, so many different games this season, but I, I really feel like there hasn't been too bad of a breakdown, you know, year over year. I guess we can go back to that as well. But it, it feels like it really is just an evolution of the game. Um in in a lot of players focusing on that aspect versus, you know, the defensive aspect Here's coming fun- into the season and as the season progresses. Here's a fun nugget I just looked up. Uh we were talking about how many forty point games comparative, whatever, like fits the new thirty. There have been 103 40-point games this year. Insane. Insane. I'm over here on Real GM going, one, two. And then I'm like, look over on the side. I'm like, wait a minute. And then, ah, yeah, okay, 103. Interesting. Um, I'm not even going to try to find last year's because, again, half season to full season sample size. But, like, I I like the point you made about the young, like, the talent in the league because, like, a lot of the guys that are doing it are – less than 26 years old and i think that is a testament to well yeah it's not like the rookies showing up but these are guys that were drafted in the last five years so i am really excited to see how the league continues to evolve so um josh i want to hit you with your next one if you have another one before we go to the playoffs matchups very soon just keep an eye on the clock um another surprise for me was how the gobert to minnesota trade kind of panned out so far this year i mean I think it's been a topic of conversation for a lot of people. And when he went to the Timberwolves, it was kind of supposed to be this missing piece that would help them really become a true contender. And so far this year, they have not looked so much like that. They're 18th in offensive rating and they're 14th in defensive rating with adding one of the key defensive players in the league. But then almost more shocking on the other side of it is Utah getting rid of their two guys and then all of a sudden winning games still they haven't been winning as many recently but they're still they're still getting wins here and there they're still staying in the playoff picture and if you watch the games you can see how well the team's working together and just like how they fit together and I don't know it just seems like everyone expected them to tank kind of and they've come out electric a little bit Nick, as someone who coined the Gobert trade one of the worst value give up assets in NBA history, I'd like to hear your thoughts. 
I uh, Come on, me they coined that by the way. I I'm, I said that. I want to be clear. Not you did not say that unless you did. I was gonna, but... I was gonna say did I did I say no, that? No, I said that. Let me <laughs> be completely transparent. I think for what they gave up, as Bill Simmons would call it, the forty cents for a dollar or fifty cents for. Sure. I think they gave up thirty eight dollars for a dollar. So, what, yep. where are you on the Gobert? Whether it be pre trade or pre season or just some context to to that thought. Yeah. No. I um. I haven't really ever been a Rudy Gobert fan. I, you know, different feelings about different players across the league. It is what it is. I think that uh, the Timberwolves got fleeced on both uh, or on that trade. Um, I think the Jazz made out well in, in Rudy's trade and Donovan Mitchell's trade, and we can talk about that or we won't. It's on my list as well. But I think that the Timberwolves, it, their struggles this year can't obviously all be attributed to Rudy and Cat not necessarily playing well together. Um, obviously, after the trade was announced, it was kind of in that weird, quiet time, you know, when the when trades were popping off, and then all of a sudden they stopped because the entire NBA world was wondering where Kevin Durant was going to end up, just for him to sign back with Brooklyn, right? And the first trade that kind of broke the broke the silence, so to speak, was the Rudy Gobert trade. And I, I remember just sitting around marveling at what the what the Timberwolves gave up to get him. And then the reaction was kind of like, are Rudy and Kat gonna play that well together? I mean, and and I don't think that they they really have been able to figure that out all that well this season. I mean, they're 22 and 23. Um, they're not horrible, they're still in the playoff picture and and whatnot, but I I don't think it's really playing out as well as they had hoped. And meanwhile, the Jazz are one spot above one spot above them in the standings and are doing much better than anyone anticipated. I mean, we can again, go back to before the season started and talk about the teams that everyone expected to be in the tankathon for Wemby. Right. And that jazz was probably the number one team that people were considering. I remember there was a, a meme going around. I think it was the first week of the season, maybe with Will Hardy and Danny Ainge um, just looking like, Will Hardy standing there coaching the game and Danny Ainge is behind him with just this bewildered look on his face because the Jazz had this amazing hot start this season. And it's like, what are you doing? We're supposed to be tanking. Meanwhile, you have Laurie Markkinen playing out of his mind this year for the Jazz, best year of his life, obviously, and really kind of making a name for himself over there. So I I think I think the Timberwolves got fleeced on the trade. Uh, yeah, I will be beating it at horse, uh, unfortunately once more, but not to you two. So I'll, I'll piggyback on that a little bit. Um, I, they 100% are, and I was more worried about th the fit thing. Like we, we had no context in the off season to know if the fit was going to work. We mm -hmm. can make our basketball opinions and be like, okay, like, sure. Maybe this and this and that they can play this and drop whatever. Well, we know now a, we don't know enough because cat hasn't been on the floor. So that is right. obviously a big, big question mark. Um, my thing was though, like D'Angelo Russell has been a huge problem for them over the last two years. And that completely got overshadowed and thinking that that was going to fix it. And then, okay, context aside about how we thought Mitchell was the problem in Utah, like, oh, he's letting people go by and then go barrest through everything. Okay, maybe he was doing that, but clearly we see Donovan Mitchell is a plus defender, just like he was in high school, just like he was at Louisville, just like he mm -hmm. was in his first two years of the Jazz till he realized that situation sucked. So now he's a really good plus defender for the Cavs. Point being, I, in, in hindsight, I was like, oh, well, the D'Angelo Russell problem is still a problem. And it's still a problem. Anthony Edwards is their primary ball creator, and it's not going to work whether the Twin Tower setup works or not. And I 
right now, I mean, at least logistically, I was hopeful. I, 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 it's on record. I was like, oh, Cat can stretch the floor and average eight rebounds and let Gobert do the rest, let him play a lot of that, you know, inside of five-foot rim stuff on both sides of the ball. Sure. And then I was like, well, at least for the asset part of it, they gave up everyone, <laughs> basically. They basically only kept, you know, Torin Prince and Kyle Anderson. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, their bench points are going to suck. They're not going to have any production. Um, they're like 13th in bench points, so that's not horrible by any stretch. Honestly, I was expecting it to be bottom five with likes of like Portland's last, Miami's 29th, Philadelphia's no surprise with guys hurt in and out of the lineup. They're going to be 28th. Cleveland's 27. Another question mark you'll, I'll kind of leave since you brought up Mitchell in a few minutes here. But it, I never thought it would work, even even with knowing what we knew. And I hate to sit here and be like, the old man was like, I told you so. But like, <laughs> the in, if we're just talking about what the heck they gave up, it was way too much. It made no sense why a first-round pick, Walker Kessler, whether I was a Walker Kessler fan or not, I had, I had him graded at 29th. So I had him a fir- as a first-round grade at least. You give up an additional first-round pick. So you basically give up six first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. You, they essentially screwed the entire trade market for the next six months. That's mm-hmm. why we haven't seen a single trade deadline mm-hmm. move in the next th- – we have no idea what to gauge contextually. That's a whole different conversation. The trade deadline, honestly, I haven't even prepared for. I've got one trade I've been, like, focused on that I think is going to happen, and I want to be – I've got clips ready, like, as soon as it happens. I was like, <laughs> here's my I told you so moment. Um, there you but, go. But, like, I don't even, like – I'm not even excited about the trade deadline because I think it's going to suck. And I think it goes back to tying everything together. I think it goes back to that trade. Now, it just logistically, like, Danny Ainge is just one of the best GMs. I actually had a longtime guest on my show, uh, Grayson Hill, is a fan, uh, another podcaster, and I talked to him all the time. And we had a conversation that came up, and I think it's one of my favorite segments this year, honestly, where we ended up doing, like, a, a starting five of the best GMs since 2000. And we were like, how do you build a lineup without Danny Ainge in it? Because that takes into consideration everything building up through Kevin Garnett. It takes sure. into consideration all the way from Kevin Garnett, basically how he built that Celtics team, all the way to and you know making deals with Larry Bird in Indiana, everything. All that counts. All the way to just show you how long he's been in this league and how long he's been successful. I don't care he's missed on picks like Romeo Lankford. He drafted Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. You automatically get free points in my book. Definitely. Trying to not be long-winded here. You have to also take consideration how he literally swindled the Minnesota Timberwolves. Like in full circle, <laughs> oh, he man. left an entire organization, led them to a title once, and then led them back to the finals again in a different decade era. Swindled the Nets. So then we really, honestly, if we took the Nets thing in consideration, we shouldn't even be shocked by this result. There you go. That's there's my point. there's my cherry on top. I didn't even think about that over the last forty <laughs> games. It's stupid what they did, regardless. And I'm done. I'm gonna end up being blue in the face. So. <laughs> um, I would love to hear either if Josh had anything else. If not, then I would love to hear the Mitchell point that you said you had for your surprise. Sure. Go for it. All right. So we talk about the Rudy Gobert trade and how poor that was. Now we're going to go back to a little bit later and trade, you know, in the trade of a season there, I guess. And everything we were hearing about Donovan Mitchell and what the, what the jazz were asking for him. Right. Um, I think the top two teams that it was presumed he was going to land on was the Knicks and the Miami Heat, right? But we were very close to a Knicks deal, it sounds like, but they were the, the Knicks just turned down the last offer. Definitely sounds like they just didn't want to give up the young assets that they have. I think we were very, very close, though. I was listening to uh, Donovan Mitchell's interview on Old Man and the Three, and he talked about like he was already looking for, um, you know, apartments and homes in, in New York and telling his family that he thought he was going to end up in New York and everything just for him to find out that he was going to Cleveland. 
And I think initially seeing um, what the actual makeup of the trade was, I was a little bit confused, just kind of wondering how it was going to kind of play out. So the Cleveland obviously got Donovan Mitchell in the trade. Utah got Lori Markinen, Oche Baji, Colin Sexton, three first round picks and two pick swaps. And it seemed like a massive haul for Donovan Mitchell. Um, and it might have been I, underpay. <laughs> it, it really might have been an underpay. And I, but this is one of those trades. I, I don't think it happens very often um, because usually, you know, you like to think it's like a, I'm not using the phrase correctly, but like a one for one trade, it's pretty even, right? But usually a couple of weeks, couple of months after the fact, you can kind of see who made out well and who didn't. But I really feel like this is a trade where both teams won, won the trade. The, the Jazz got out of it what they wanted to get out of it. They got loaded up with draft picks, first-round draft picks that are all, all three of them are unprotected, coming from Cleveland, who knows how well that does for them, but still three first-round draft picks to add to their collection and maybe maybe make trades in the future with. Um, and Cleveland ended up with, I think, probably the missing piece for them. Um, you know, they couldn't really get over the hump last year, but they are really putting together a, a good run this season, even though they've also been plagued by, you know, the injury bug here and there, they're sitting at fifth place in the Eastern conference right now. And that is, um, it's really interesting to me. I, like I said, I think it's just one of the few instances in which there really is a win-win trade for both teams and both teams really got what they needed out of it. Josh, uh, I have no basis of knowing what you said. So where were you on the Mitchell trade when it happened? I'm just curious. Yeah, I was kind of on a similar page. I thought I was, once we finally figured out where he was going, I thought it was a, a good deal for Cleveland. Obviously, they have a lot of pieces there. And Cleveland is the closest basketball town to us that actually has a team. So we end up in mm -hmm. Cleveland a lot of time watching those games. So kind of a little bit biased slightly towards the team. We want them to do well so that we can see a good team play. But I think it's just been... Even if you did expect Mitchell to come into the season and play well, he's exceeded a lot of people's expectations, and he's he's just fit in perfectly, pretty much. And I think it's just it's cool to see him succeed and bring the team together to succeed as well. So I said something pretty early on in the year that I completely stand by, and I think the Cleveland Cavaliers is currently constructed. I don't think they're too early on a title run. I think if they're healthy this year, I think defensively they can they can make the finals. And I would like to save the rest of those thoughts for the way I understood that I, I said at the very beginning how you two picked each topic here. Um, I understood the talking about the playoff matchups at the end of today as not trying to predict the finals necessarily, but at least seeing who was going to play each other and predicting that. That was how I kind of took it. If not, I'll go off the fly mm -hmm. for the rest of it, but uh, I didn't know if we were <laughs> picking the finals or not. Um, but I will ask you at the end, like I ask every guest, what your finals pick is. So um, we'll, I guess we'll save my thoughts on Cleveland for that. Anything else from anybody about either Donovan Mitchell, this situation with Cleveland or any other surprises before I give you my last one that I wanted to save for last. Go for it. No, I'm good. Go for it. So I wouldn't, I always try to find a way to tie two things. I always try to, you know, I, I have I, what I feel like is a pretty good basketball, uh, either merchandise or memorabilia collection as just a basketball fan I've had my whole life. So I always like to tie either something I'm wearing to my guest. If I can't for some reason, I'll try to tie the question to the guest. So um, as you two being dubbed the Queen City Control Room, first of all, I did not know that about the, the Buffalo. Like I had no idea it was called the Queen. Like that's <laughs> I, today I learned. I thought that was really neat. Um, 
But I also decided to obviously support that, and I'm not going to, for YouTube, you can you guys can see it. I'm not going to say who it is on the shirt. There's one guy on there we're going to talk about, one of them or not for legal reasons. But I'm going to put that down now. I bought that shirt three months before that happened. So I want to talk about your star player, your favorite team. Like, uh, Josh is going to be proud of me, you and my former co-host. But averaging 24 points per game in 21 minutes, or 21 games, excuse me, obviously came back from an injury, uh, 8.4 assists and 5.4 rebounds. Pretty good stat, honestly. Like really good stats. I can't say pretty good. They're really good stats. It deserves to be, you know, in the All Star contention. I don't know if the games played will screw him in that category, but uh, mm-hmm. just want to talk out loud the, to to quantify my surprise. Uh, I want to talk about it, and then I have a question for you. I always like to end with a question on uh, that, and then we can talk about the playoffs. So, with knowing that, obviously, you might have seen by now that he's averaging thirty seven points from three, thirty seven percent from three. You hear that number and you're like, okay, that sounds like a lot, and it is. Like I, it like the jump he's made. I don't have the year over year in front of me. I'm really disappointed in myself. Someone please pull that up. That was my wink, wink ask there. But um, I know it's higher than average. Like his average was, you know, low 30s. I knew he was in that 31 to 33 range for a while. I want to see if it is a drastic jump. And then I realize I'm not overreacting a little bit because he's taking 11 attempts a game. So the mm-hmm. dude is putting them up. And at an NBA average level, the the league typically averages 34 to 36%, depending on the year. I think this year it's a little high. So he's technically above league average in, in three-point percentage. So I don't have a take by any means. I don't think everything has to have a take in this. But I wrote down verbatim, I said, Lamelo's three-point shooting efficiency was a surprise for me because I don't care if it's 21 games. That kid is awesome. He's shooting. And by the way, as someone who is relatively new to the whole draft, big board cycle thing, I've been doing draft stuff for myself and my notebooks for the last like six ish years i think this will be my sixth year doing some kind of draft work but that draft was my first officially scouting and evaluating and putting weaknesses and this and this and that and like actually breaking that stuff down and i was a believer in the shot coming around but not at this pace as i want what i want to be clear about so i guess if i was giving you like a a take or whatever you want to call it is i did not think the shot was coming around that quickly i was a believer i think the mechanics were there i think the work ethics there. I think there's a lot that comes into that with the shot coming around. I think he's in an organization that cares about development and growth. Not that they're going to stick him in Greensboro by any means, but they could. I mean, if they ever needed to an injury rehab, it wouldn't be a bad place for him. They do develop uh, young talent there well. But uh, long story short, Lamella's three-point shooting efficiency. Any thoughts, fellas, before I ask you a question about it? In terms of his efficiency, it's not really a surprise for me. I did go and look up his statistics in terms of his percentages over the last three years. Um, obviously, you mentioned this year he's at 37%. Last, last year, he shot 38.9%, and the year before, he was at 352 So re- really right around the same percentage. Obviously, like you mentioned, we're only he's only played in 21 games this year, so long ways to go this season. What but, was the attempts last year? I know they were lower. But, I was also reporting out the attempts. Only 7.5 attempts last year and only five attempts the year before. So putting it up a lot more and making a lot more, I mean, not making a lot more percentage wise, but I can't remember who the other two were. One was obviously Steph Curry, but he's one of only a few players to ever average four, four, three pointers a game. If, if that obviously carries through the rest of the season, right? It's again, very, very early, but pretty, pretty amazing. I think part of that is just simply due to the fact that he the roster in, in Charlotte, I want to say, how do I put this delicately? But maybe I don't need to put don't, it delicately. Don't put it delicately because we're about to talk about that. So go ahead. The, the roster is 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 not great. It's not a great scenario in Charlotte. And especially as we approach the trade deadline, I think we have 
I don't know, uh, 23 days, 24 days, 22 days, somewhere in there until the trade deadline. I mean, rumors totally swirl around every team at this point, but we've heard that they're going to be listening for trade offers on Terry Rozier. They're going to be listening for trade offers on Jalen McDaniels, maybe Kelly Oubre, but maybe not now that he's, you know, he's out with for, uh, for his wrist injury, even PJ Washington, perhaps listening to um, offers for him and just seeing what they can do with the roster makeup. So I think now that LaMelo is back from his long injury stint, and like I mentioned, he's only played in 21 games so far. So only little under half the season. I think part of the reason he's putting up more threes is maybe because he feels like this is more of, you know, his team quote unquote at this point, but also more because he feels like he just has to, and a little bit of like, why not? Like the situation really couldn't get any worse in Charlotte at this point. So why not put the ball up? Why not continue to try to develop yourself and not lucky for him, but good for him is, is that the shots are falling. Josh. Yeah, that's for sure. When he, was coming back from his injuries it's like okay like ease yourself back in don't get hurt again just kind of ease up on the shots and then he came back and he was electric and just he just um got his flow back so quickly and was scoring and getting his assists like he always does and it was it obviously turns the hornets from like almost an unwatchable team with all the stupid injuries into a good team to turn on a league pass for one thing, but yeah, um, you wouldn't say he's ever lacked confidence, but this year, like Nick kind of said, he definitely has come into his own a lot more and kind of just feels like he like maybe just knows the offense more, just more naturally, but it's been, it's cool to see him still developing so much, I guess I'd say. Yeah, I think it's I, I want to point out the league pass part of it because I love that you guys live six hundred plus miles from Charlotte because you are not <laughs> dude you are not restricted to a blackout. Your blackout's probably Cleveland, you said, at least you it might actually give you one of the New York teams now that I think about it because it's, it's the Knicks, yeah. That sucks. What about the Nets? You get Yes Network anyway, right? Yeah. Okay. So then you're kind of in a perfect area where yeah. Yes Network's probably included with most cable packages anyway. Mm-hmm. League pass is just something you pay for monthly or whatever, right? So y'all are right. lucky. Mm-hmm. Being in North Carolina here, I'm in North Carolina. I'm from Raleigh. I never told you all that. But um, being in North Carolina, and I told you I was the, uh, that, but I have to watch the Hornets on a three-day delay, basically. Because even if they're on TNT, it takes the way the blackout structure works with Valley Sports. And I'm sorry, Valley Sports, I'm not paying $20 when I already paid League Pass 15 So <laughs> I'm just sorry. I hate to do that. Maybe that loses a Valley sponsor one day. I don't really care. But I am not. It sucks because I have to literally watch them on a three-day delay. Not that that's a big deal, right? I just bookmark it and save it and watch it three days later. But it, the, the teams, I, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say anything else. I'm gonna ask this. I'm actually just gonna go with what I had written down because I think it makes more sense. Josh, you seemed a little bit more perplexed or more, you seemed more frustrated by the situation than than uh, <laughs> jo- than Josh did. So I'm gonna just give you this, and I'm gonna let you two have fun. This is a safe space because I come from a form. I'm North Carolinian, and I'm always going to pull for the Hornets, even if the Lakers aren't doing well. Um, and then my obviously best friend and co-host. So this is a five-minute. Let's just vent. Let's talk about next year, which is way more promising because at this point you're at, you're vying for Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Anderson. That's okay. That's a good place to be. So I'm going to look at the clock. It's perfectly on my timer. I have set. It's 45 minutes. We have five minutes to just. Talk about next year. 
you know, we've already talked about thoughts on this year, so screw that. Next year's plan, what they should be looking at in the draft, whatever, whatever. Let's just have some fun and talk about better days, which might be next year. So the floor is you guys. I have nothing to say because I am not a Hornets fan. Have a great time. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where to start with that. It's very <laughs> open-ended. I think when we always jump on the podcast, Nick is always like more more respectful to the team. and he's like okay don't let's not be too harsh and then i'm always like just just full gun in it no holds bar but like i would probably even start with the front office and management it's been it's been hard to watch some of the decisions they've been making so going into next year it feels like a can't miss pick if we end up in the top two for sure and get one of those guys, that would be it would be incredible to see one of them play with LaMelo. Obviously, there's a lot of questions around the rest of the roster, but either of those guys would bring a lot to the city and team. I think in terms of if you want to talk about the draft next year, I think um we have to kind of get away from assessing what the Hornets need, except for maybe, you know, not drafting a point guard since we have our point guard of the future, presumably. Um, but at this point, as a Hornets fan going into the draft, I think it's less about what the team needs and just drafting the best player available because no matter what happens, um, I know you mentioned earlier that the team is really good at developing young players. And I think to an extent that that, I think to an extent that's true, but we've also seen a lot of mishandling of the players. And I, I think anyways, maybe different perspective from different fans of the team, but we've seen lottery picks getting a lot of playing time this season from, you know, obviously the top couple players are going to, are going to make big impacts on their teams, but even going down the the rankings a little bit. Right. And we are, we had the debacle last draft where the Hornets drafted Jalen Duran at 13, then traded him to the Knicks who traded him to the Pistons. And I I like Mark Williams. I think he's eventually going to be a good center in the league. I don't think he's going to kind of flame out or anything, but the Hornets kind of have a history of not giving their young players from my perspective. Again, we're not decades long fans of, of the team. So we're probably going to get called out for that in all sorts of ways. But um, as a, as a newer fan of the team, I suppose it feels like the Hornets have a history of, of mishandling these young players we've seen over just over the last couple of years, right? JT Thor, um, James book Knight, Mark Williams, Bryce McGowan's all these players that have been drafted who end up spending the majority of their time down in Charlotte, Kai Jones. And I know that Charlotte likes to take an interest in, in a project and see what they can do. But at this point, it's like, how many more years do you want to just invest in a project? At some point, your fans are going to like. What what are the fans going to do? Not except complain about it, but um, at some point, you got to you got to put some playable basketball out on the floor. And and Lamelo is a human highlight reel, but especially without you know players that didn't return this year for legal reasons, you know the the, the highlight factor and and the entertainment level of the Charlotte Hornets is really not. Um, it's really not there. I mean, last year they at least made the play in tournament for the second year in a row. They, they were over 40 wins last year. There was something to hope for. I think at the end of last season that evaporated very quickly in the off season. And then you have the whole draft debacle. I just mentioned it's depressing. Um, 
And I was baffled when they gave Mitch Kupchak a, a contract extension this year because his contract was supposed to expire. I think one of the bright spots for the Hornets, though, is the Steve Clifford hire at coach. Obviously, the team is doing very poorly this year, but he was signed for a he was signed to a three year contract last season after the whole other debacle with it coming down to Mike D'Antoni and Kenny Atkinson just to find out that Kenny Atkinson got offered the job, then backed out. They went back to Mike D'Antoni. It sounds like he didn't want it because he didn't want to feel like a second option. And then all of a sudden they pull Steve Clifford out of nowhere and we're kind of like, okay, well, you know, let's see what they can do. And um, I actually really like him as a coach, despite the fact that we are, you know, only 11 and 34 this season. I think there's way too many problems to pin on one player. I know his three-year contract has a built-in option clause for the team after the first year and the second year. So I don't know that he's going to come back next year, but I hope they do bring him back because I think that's at least a step in the right direction. It felt like, you know, one of those things where you just let your therapist sit there and be like, you know what? Yeah. Cross our arms and let it out. Like, it's okay. Tell me, tell me how you're feeling. Yeah. No, this is like, that was exactly what I was aiming for because I had no idea how long the playoffs are going to take. So let's just, I, I want to end with this. I think the Clifford thing, I, I've been back and forth on this. And then shout out to James Plot, right? He put out this really interesting thing. He's so plugged into the team through NBA TV. Shout mm-hmm. out to him. But um, he was like, hey, uh, you know, ask him a question about defensive something, something or another. and Or like LaMelo's stats defensively are better or whatever. And then he went and looked it up and they were all worse by a significant amount. So <laughs> the defensive coach saying that and then it just, I don't know. I am I think it's just maybe that, maybe that was just a cheek and tongue slip up like it, things are not in good place, so maybe he just is mm-hmm. what it is. Um, just curious, how often do y'all do a uh, 2023 draft lottery simulator on Tankathon? Is it daily now? Has it reached that point? <laughs> do we do that? <laughs> I'm genuinely, genuinely curious. Do you actually go on there every day and click it? Click it until it gives us the result we want? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah pretty well, much. For fun, we're going to click it right now. So, uh, 11-34, obviously second behind uh, the Houston Rockets at 10-34 and 34 as of uh, we we're recording this on Tuesday, January 17th. She's going to hit Sim Lottery and see what happens. Uh, wow. Okay. No, we're not going to do this. The Lakers got the number one pick, which they give it to the Pelicans in that scenario. So we're going to move on. Uh, oh that's awkward for me. That, that was horrible. Okay. Uh, wow. Uh, all right. Charlotte fell to four for what it's worth. Oof. So, uh, I was going to go down a scenario of, uh, like if they were at two, would you take Sue Henderson anyway? Yada, yada, yada. But I think what I'm going to do is a I do a trivia showdown series in the off season to a take a break from covering NBA for nine months straight, and b it's really really fun because especially you two are a two, so I'm gonna pin you against each other uh, in June or July in Charlotte Hornets trivia, even though we've already done Charlotte Hornets trivia with Darren <laughs> uh, Darian Thomas and Evan Birchmore, so we'll have to figure that out. I have to somehow find a way to get twenty more questions, um, and then I do a draft <laughs> show also. So if you two want to deep dive into the Hornets draft stuff, we can do that. At, uh, oh, would love as to. Well. So Absolutely. I'll save I'll save that for that because I I don't want to talk about the results. So um, let's end with the playoff scenario. And I, would you like to do it with? Are we gonna Are we gonna just pick the what what predictions we ended up seeing like how it fell that day on Monday, or are we like trying to pick it all the way through? How did we want to do that? Because I mean I I don't really care about the time at this point. Like we can do it and kind of go from there. I do want to ask all your title picks at the end anyway, so it's not like we won't talk about it. Yeah, I mean, maybe just pick the how they looked on Monday then, kind of just look at the series and what okay. they look like. I like it because I think a lot of them, and I'm kind of glad who, whichever one of you came up with it, I love the matchups, which is why I'm glad we're doing this. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, yeah, they're fun. This is y'all's segment. Y'all let me know where we're starting. I've got it in front of me. I think I've got – it looks like east is on the left and west is on the right. So if you want to do the east first, we can do that. Yeah, let's do it. All right, whoever wants to start, we have Boston-Indiana as the first matchup in the east, one versus eight. Are we just picking these and rolling or we'll just kind of talk about it? What do we think? Maybe pick it in the game or what games? I don't know. Sure. All right, Josh. Celtics, Pacers. Um, This one was one of the easier ones for me. I just said Celtics in four games. I think the talent is just unmatchable in the first round matchup. It's pretty much as easy as that for that one for me. Nick? I don't want to beat a dead horse as we go through this because otherwise we're going to probably have pretty similar opinions. But I will say, I I don't think... I don't think the Celtics are going to sweep anyone in the playoffs. Um, this we can talk about this series with the Pacers, or you know, in the future, depending on who else we pick. But I think what we've seen from the Celtics is unequivocally the best team in basketball right now. Um, you know, they're only slightly better than the Nuggets record-wise, the, the Grizzlies record-wise. But in terms of just like the level of play on the floor, I think um, the Celtics are unequivocally the best team in basketball, at least as of the today's date, right? But I think what we've also seen from them is every once in a while, the team just is like, it's kind of like a throwaway game. Um, You know, let's just, let's just get through the game and go on to the next one. And I think though, when people think of NBA basketball, they think of like the players, everyone turns up for the playoffs, right? There's no more like easy moments, but every once in a while in the playoffs last year, I felt like we did see that from the Celtics, not necessarily in a bad way. They still made it to the finals and played really well. Right. But I think we see that pretty consistently from them every, every so often. So I think especially with how well Indiana has been playing this year, that's another big surprise that we didn't cover earlier, but Indiana's kind of playing off the charts. I think Indiana steals one game, but Boston takes it in five games. Yeah. I'm with you for a myriad of different reasons, but um, I think only because my heart's telling me to say Indiana's going to win a game. Cause I love Indiana this year <laughs> as someone Fair. picked them to finish 15th in the East in my preseason rankings. Oof. And I apologize publicly to everyone and to <laughs> shout out to Alex golden, who I had on a few weeks ago to talk about the Pacers. Cause they were that warranted to this discussion because a they're, they would be the eighth seed in the East when I picked them to finish last. And a lot of people did. So I think that they would probably win a game. And I'm going to say that. And they did beat Boston 117 to 112, but that was without Robert Williams. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to go Boston in five for the sake of time, a myriad of different reasons is what I'll tell you. Uh, Brooklyn, Miami, uh, Nick, who do you think would win Brooklyn, Miami? We have to assume, I think just for the purposes of these, this discussion that everyone's healthy, and Miami has, they're the seventh seed right now. They're 24 and 21, but they are another team that has kind of fallen from grace. In my opinion, I think Brooklyn sweeps them in the first round. I just, I think, especially when you get Katie and Kyrie on the same page, the way they had, the way they had been before Katie got hurt. Right. Um, I think they're going to be unstoppable in that first round. And I think the Miami heat are worse than their record lets on. Josh? This series for me, I mean, it comes down to whether KD and Kyrie continue to play as well as they have been in the past stretch. I mean, it's hard to... A lot of times they have had a different look, I guess I'd call it, in the regular season and then in the playoffs. 
and kind of the opposite for the Heat. The Heat tend to turn it up a little bit in the playoffs like everybody does, but they seem to do a good job of it. But overall, I think you can't – I can't really go against how KD is playing right now. So I would say the Nets in – I'd probably say the Nets in six games. Miami steals two of them. I'm with you. I don't think Jimmy Butler would allow a sweep of any kind. So not that they didn't – I think – didn't Milwaukee sweep them a few years ago? I think they did. Either way, yeah, it doesn't I matter. So. I don't care what I'm saying. But Brooklyn uh, – I think Brooklyn wins in a sweep as well. Uh, I Jimmy Butler would try his hardest. But I just don't think – the Heat are constructed currently with – I think the not hitting on draft picks or not having them and having to go with six undrafted guys in your rotation, I think it's four, but I'm still pointing out the obvious. But Mm -hmm. um, I think that's going to catch up to him eventually, and I think it's starting to. Um, I think they're too reliant on – like, Bam's still a younger player. Jimmy Butler's obviously getting up there in age. Kyle Lowry not able to play a full season. Hero's no longer a six-man, which I think is awesome for them, but it also speaks to volumes about how bad their bench is. Like I mentioned earlier, the 28th in bench points, so – or 29th, whatever. They're almost dead last. Um, Milwaukee and New York, I'll give you all this one because I don't think this one is a contest. I think this is my sweep, even though let's say Brooklyn for fun would probably lose one game to Miami. But um, I think Milwaukee hand- handedly takes care of New York. But that's no disrespect to the Knicks who have been playing really well. And in this scenario, do avoid the play-in, which is a win for them. Mm-hmm. I think this is a just an unfortunate matchup for the Knicks. If I'm the Knicks, I'm probably trying to play up to the five seed and face the Sixers instead of the Bucks, just because I agree with you. Maybe New York steals the game, but I think it's more likely that Milwaukee sweeps them and just jumps into the next round. Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page. I mean, Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson have been playing well together this year, but it's just it's just seems like a matchup nightmare for them having to play in Milwaukee and then you start to lose a couple of games and it kind of just falls apart for them. I would say maybe they win one game at home. The Bucks win 4-1. Probably what I would go with. Especially just on this note, before we jump to the next one, Giannis, I think we talked a little bit earlier about how players really like make a jump for the playoffs. Maybe I mentioned that a couple of minutes ago. I don't know at this point, but Giannis, I think, is one of those players that like really steps his game up in the playoffs. And I think against the Knicks team that just, the vibes are never high around the Knicks, I think, in the playoffs. Um, it wasn't last year. It was two years ago, I think, when the, the Hawks upset them, right? Yeah, um, someone who picked them to sweep the Hawks. Yes, I'm not proud yeah. of Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So you remember that pretty well. I don't know. I just get a bad feeling about that matchup, even though all total respect for the Knicks this season. I think exceeding my expectations and Julie, or Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson both, you know, I think that pairing work, is working really well for them. Yeah, I'm an R.J. Barrett Um uh, truther until he retires so that's unfortunate for me but um this is where it gets weird the east was pretty chalk the west is going to be wild to talk about but uh, i'll be sure and sweet on philly and cleveland this is kind of where i by the way on the bucks and knicks really quick i just noticed um the bucks have won every game by at least 10 against uh, except mm-hmm. for uh, they've won every game one of them was i misread it they've won every game against the new york knicks whether it would be home <laughs> or away i misread the score on two of them but mm-hmm. regardless they beat the knicks 3-0 in the series this year so regular season series uh, with Cleveland and Philly. Now we're talking about obviously what it would be a playoff matchup. Um, this is where I think it gets interesting in the East because long story short, I think the Cavs right now, if we're talking about season ended today, I'm going off the scenario we have. Season ended today, Philly's just now getting healthy. Granted, let's just pretend this is 82 games for now, but or 42 games sure. for now. But I think either way, Cleveland wins this series. I think Jared Allen is able to stop 
Joel Embiid, or at least contain him to a certain degree. Um, mm-hmm. I think the guard play of Cleveland right now is playing better. I don't think there's a stop for Garland right now in the backcourt for Philadelphia. And obviously that takes into consideration what Harden's going to do for you as a playmaker and what Mitchell's going to have to be as a defender. Um, I just think what they're doing and the way Kevin Love comes off the bench, I don't think they, they're not just going to all of a sudden play Matisse Thibault and try to stop Kevin Love. That's just not going to happen. Um, I think the matchups are just really intriguing, and I just believe in Cleveland more, I think, and I think it's maybe just a little bit of heart and mind together, but I think Cleveland will beat Philadelphia in the series, whether they play now or whether they play in legitimately in a few months. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking a similar thing there. It's obviously hard to stop him beat when he's averaging 33 and 10 or 33 and 9 or whatever right now. But I think if one team in, well, one of the few teams in the East that could match up well against them would be Cleveland. I kind of see the series as going a little bit back and forth, but I would say in seven games, the Cavs would still find a way to beat them. I think the matchups just fall in their favor too much. And I think it would just be, it would be a good matchup for them, kind of. Nick, what do you think? I don't have anything significant to add. You both covered it very well. I think Cleveland takes it in six games. Nice. I it honestly even could be five games. I could, I could, I could easily be persuaded for them to take it in five. I think Philadelphia is is a good team, but I think Cleveland's a better team. I mistakenly don't think I added games so i would think six as well josh did you say the number of games as well i said seven so, yeah okay i'm i would think either way but six is probably where i would go just because i think cleveland is better all right in the west let's rapid fire through these a little bit for the sake of my computer not imploding on how big the file might be uh denver and golden state so uh you'll yeah, you guys will know as you do this longer you'll realize some shows just go longer and your computer has to just figure it out but mm-hmm. anyway uh denver golden state denver obviously being the prima donna pick for me um i don't care that this is golden state and i think this is really fun um i want to say for the sake of just the conversation and thought around this right now if we did it as of today because i know we said monday for the sake of being on the same page right now it would be denver playing utah Golden State mm-hmm. won last night, so they would bump up, and they are 22-22, and 22, like I mentioned earlier. So they would play Memphis instead of – let me make sure I have the thing pulled up on the screen. Memphis would play Minnesota in our scenario. Not to be confusing. I'm not trying to confuse the listeners. It's more for you two. Um, and I think that is the only other change. So actually I have it side by side now. Denver – yeah, Denver-Golden State. We'll get to the other two. I don't want to spoil those just yet. Yeah, nothing else changed. Uh, so it would basically just be Golden State uh, and – Minnesota changing places, which I think is really neat, and Utah being in there instead. Um, but for the fun, obviously, we're going to do Denver-Golden State would be the first-round matchup. Um, I think Denver wins in six. I think this would be an absolutely unfortunate pull for, for the Nuggets. Um, but as someone who's been very clear about, I think Nicole Jokic does deserve to win the third MVP. Um, that's not a spoiler. If people have been listening for weeks, midseason awards is not going to matter for that. But uh, I think Denver can beat Golden State. I think currently constructed, as I was talking to Chris O'Brien with, I said – we were talking about how Dallas was the team we were talking about. I mentioned earlier, and he was like, I think Dallas would beat Denver in a series. And I feel, I don't think anybody would beat Denver in a series right now, because I don't think anyone is in defensive in the West in a defensive position to stop the way they operate their offense this year and the way they're, how deep they are. So I think long winded here, Denver, I think wins in six. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really intriguing matchup. And like you said, I think the West has a lot more interesting matchups in this scenario but I think Nuggets fans would probably say that's a tough draw for them getting the Warriors and as an eight seed but like you said too the Warriors would say it's a tough draw getting the Nuggets so 
I think it would be a good matchup for them. I mean, it would come down to whether the Warriors can keep up what they've been doing forever or if the Nuggets could finally break through and make a deep playoff run. And for me, I see the series going seven again, I think, and the Nuggets finally breaking through and getting a win here. Kind of piggybacking off what you said, I think the Nuggets have just looked kind of unstoppable right now. If they keep playing the way they're playing, I think it'll be hard for Golden State to pull off the series win there. Come on, contradict us, Nick. Say Golden State's going to win 8-1 for the Mm -hmm. first time since they did the We Believe. I can't take Golden State. Ah. Uh, Do we at least think it's seven? Do we at least think it's seven? I think think it's six, but... I think it's seven games. Okay. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to convince myself it's Golden State. Okay. <laughs> is it that close though? Or are you just doing that? I'm just curious. Is no, no. I really, I really think it is that close. The okay. thing that tips, I think that, I think it'd be a, a crazy matchup. The thing that tips the scales for me is I think Denver's coming in with a grudge because they got bounced by Golden State in five games last season um, in the first round and in the three, six matchup. And I don't recall the box scores from the individual game. So I can't remember what the scores were, but I, feel like i rec- recall like all of the games being pretty close and just four of the first five going golden state's way i don't know if that's accurate i just kind of feel like that's maybe what happened um so i think that that probably tips the scales a little bit in denver's in denver's uh favor maybe just coming in with like a little bit of an extra chip on their shoulder for what otherwise would be a pretty even matchup but I could just as easily be persuaded that it's Golden State, honestly. I think that, like I, I mentioned earlier when we talked about them, this team knows how to navigate the playoffs. It's not like they're they're not coming in with any jitters. If, if anyone can win in an 8-1 matchup, it's this Golden State team. Um. So the second week of the season, literally like game five, I think is what it is, mm-hmm. Denver went into Golden State and won 128-123. to as just a, hey, by the way, kind of fact, because Jamal Murray was mm-hmm. just getting his sea legs back. Obviously, neither team had really had any injuries otherwise. So that was obviously, I, I want to go back, maybe I can rewatch that game and see. Um, obviously, a little early, a lot of things to figure out about both, but I do think it'd be interesting to kind of watch for context. Um, oh, yeah. You mentioned an interesting matchup. Um, I think this next one will kind of fly through is no, nothing short of not uh, interesting. I think Memphis sweeps <laughs> Minnesota. I do not care what anyone says. I think Minnesota. Sweep. Yeah. Easy sweep. sweep. Josh, yes. Yeah, agree. Okay, yeah. All right, next. <laughs> Can't argue uh, that. Yeah, next. New Orleans and the Clippers will be playing each other in the three six. I don't even want to talk about Minnesota and Memphis deserves at least a conversation in the future. But uh, New Orleans, Los Angeles, Clippers. Right now, the New Orleans Pelicans will be the three seed. Clippers will be the six. Where are we at? This is interesting for me because when we our very first episode of our podcast was, I think we dropped it like four days before the season started, something like that. So naturally we went through like preseason picks for MVP and rookie of the year and all that. And also finals picks. And I picked the Clippers just having the feeling that like Paul George, Kawhi, John Wall going over to Los Angeles, just going to all really work out well for them. And that has obviously not been the case. Um, I don't know. I want to say the Clippers just so that I can go back to my pick from earlier this year before the season started. But I think it's pretty obvious that New Orleans has been playing lights out this season um, uh, pretty consistently in those top one of those top three teams. I would have to take New Orleans in, in five games, probably even. And, and one more note before we jump, I think 
an- another reason that I would take New Orleans in five is I don't think that you can count on Kawhi, Paul George, John Wall, and the rest of the Clippers really being medically available for a seven game series. I legit could see Kawhi, like Kawhi playing game one and then being like, all right, well, we're going to rest him for game two. We're going to make him a game time decision for game three. Like not, not even joking about it. I seriously could see that being the case because they just kind of need to load manage, especially if they think they're going to make a run in the playoffs. And I think that could ultimately be what kills them. So I would take New Orleans in five. If you're in that position as a six seed, though, you're in no way. I, I would respect them in no way possible because if you're load managing your best player as a six seed, I can understand if you think you're just going to, but it's almost disrespectful to the Pelicans. Even oh, if yeah. the three, Agreed. like even if they're still around, it's disrespectful. Um, I, you brought it up at the end. I'm glad you said it. Cause obviously injury concerns on both sides though. Cause Brandon Ingram has been out for a lot of games this year. Um, Fair. I think if yeah. we're assuming right now, fully healthy, it's one answer. I think if we're assuming the rest of the year plays out, I think either way, I'm probably going to go New Orleans in six because I think New Orleans mm-hmm. is built to beat the Clippers. I think they're a type of team defensively, and they have a lot of length, which I think can help. Managing the fact that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard might kill you and combine for 65 points combined a game, but <laughs> that might hurt. I'm not going to lie, but that, Luke also beat them multiple times in the playoff series basically by himself, so I think the right. Pelicans can do it. I also think they're physical enough as well. Josh? Yeah, it might just come naturally from trying to just – be on the opposite side of Nick on our own podcast and him picking the Clippers initially that I just have a bad taste in my mouth from the Clippers and just the injury bug, like you said, but after watching the Pelicans play the Suns in the playoffs last year, after no one kind of expected them to hang tough and they played them so well without Zion and they almost snuck away with the series. But I think going into the playoffs this year, they will be, they will be a hard force to knock out and, They'll prove it right away in this first series. I think they'll, they might drop one or two games to uh, Kawhi and PG that put up 80 points or something together. But in all the rest of the games, I think they're going to take them. So I would say Pelicans and I'd say six games, maybe. And that's no disrespect to the Clippers on my end, at least. I just think it's, I think the Pelicans have done enough this year and the way they're constructed that they can beat a lot of teams in the West right now in a playoff series. For sure. All right, we're going to end with this series. I can't even think how I would react to it. I just This is so <laughs> such an awkward thing for me because, like, I love Sacramento. I hate Dallas. So I just – it's so weird the way the two teams play. Like, one of them – anyway. So I would say Sacramento wins on seven and I genuinely don't think that's my heart I genuinely think that they're a defensive team that can do everything to stop everybody around Luka and at that point Luka's not going to win every playoff series where he averages 37 points per game it's just eventually going to catch up to them with the usage percentage that high I'll continue to plant my flag on that and I'll be wrong about it one day but it's okay Um, usage percentage that high it has not happened ever and I don't care what people say that Dirk did in 2011 that team was a lot better than people gave him credit for so Long story short, I think the Kings win in seven, but I think Luka just absolutely calls his way through all of that. I love the fact that these teams haven't played each other. We'll get to see them February 10th, February 11th, and April 5th. Okay. So, picks? Go ahead, Josh. All right. Well, we talked about the Kings earlier a little bit. I obviously love watching them play. I'm a Kings supporter, I guess, but... I think just the most interesting thing would be the two differing styles of pace and how quick one plays now, like half court focus, the other one plays and 
it would be a fun matchup to watch. It would be one of the most intriguing ones for me, but I think the Kings can just, I think the Kings can take care of business when in six games. Last but not least, yeah. go ahead. All right. It's, it, it took all the way until the eighth playoff matchup for the discussion, but I'm finally going to contradict you both. Um, I, I think Dallas's roster is not great. I think they will be a team that is in the market to try to shake things up at the trade deadline here in a couple of weeks. I've heard zero rumors of that. I just kind of have this little gut feeling because I think they recognize that, like you said, the use that like he can't continue at this, at this usage rate, can't continue to to put up these points. You can't continue to have to rely on Luca to propel your team to the W night in and night out, even though he is going to carry the significant portion of that weight. But I think coming down to the playoffs, um, I think it's going to be hard to get Luca out in a, you know, in the first round. I would take Dallas in seven. Um, I totally respect what you both are saying about how the Kings play and what you think the matchup looks like. But I think just for the fact that um, Luca's on the roster and the little bit of experience that they have, if we are taking into consideration where we are today, I think that it's going to be hard for Sacramento to stop, um, to stop Dallas. I think it's tough, right? Because if we're doing the four or five matchup, obviously you would have four games in Sacramento, three games in Dallas. So you go two, two, one, one, one. I think Sacramento just to go into a little bit of depth probably takes the first two at home. I think Dallas takes the next two at home. Sacramento goes up three, two, and then Dallas wins the last two to close out the series. Just because if you, if you can get Luca to a game seven, I would be hard pressed to find someone who's going to stop him from taking that win. Yeah. Phoenix would agree with you. Uh, (laughs) uh, Fair. Good point. I think all of that was good. Awesome discussion. Uh, I'm going to close with this before your plugs. I do this with every guest. Don't care how long it's been. Uh, Give me your rapid fire NBA finals and, who wins it. So obviously East West. And then at the end, you guys mentioned, or earlier you guys mentioned uh, that you do at least follow college basketball. Some, so give me a title pick in, in college. So uh, Nick, I think I'm looking at first. I, based on where we are today, not going off of the discussion we just had, but just kind of the feel of, of what the teams are. I don't and think anyone's believe, beat, by the way, I want to know what you actually sure, think is going to Sure. Happen. Sure. <laughs> I I don't think anyone's beating Boston in the playoffs. I think they're just too good. And I also don't think anyone's beating Memphis. I think it's going to be an interesting matchup in the Western Conference Finals between Denver and Memphis. But I think Memphis takes that series in seven and then is just too tired after a long, long um, hard-fought series with Denver to rally and beat Boston. So I think Boston takes it in seven. Josh, go right ahead. Yeah, for my finals prediction, I think the Celtics make it there. I think they'll make their way through the East, not with ease, but they'll make it there dominantly. And then on the West side, I would say the Pelicans sneak their way through. I think they, we talked about it, but they match up well against a lot of teams. And I think they'll kind of surprise some people that don't pay as close attention to them as people who watch a lot of games. So I would say it's Celtics and Pelicans, and then the Celtics take it in six games in the finals good because i'm bookmarking these and if you're uh 
both completely off, then I'm going to bookmark it and send it out to the world. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I'm getting this from every yes. So I think it's fun to watch later. Um, awesome. I have, I currently have teetered Denver is my pick and it has been all year. And I think that I'm going to continue to roll with that uh, in the West. The East is where it gets weird for me. Long story short, right now I'm going to go the bucks because I do believe Giannis can not be stopped by anyone in the playoffs. I think they're just getting right. They'll have 40 more games to figure out Chris Middleton and how he fits back into that role. Drew holiday has been unbelievable this year. It's been a very, very underrated uh, thing to look at. And then obviously what Joe Ingles has done for them and other pieces that they've started to see production from, as well as they've now made it, this will be their sixth year in a row. They make a trade deadline move if they do. So they do things at the deadline, they make things work, they buy out people, et cetera. So I think this will be an active deadline for them and I think they'll be fine. Um, I could have picked the Celtics eight minutes ago, but that's okay. Like it's, that's what's going to happen in the East for now. And I do believe at least in Giannis right now more. Uh, NCAA title real quick. No, no explanation. Just say it. Go for it, Josh. You go first. UConn Huskies. I like it. Y'all are up there too, which is kind of cool. You're getting to, this probably some kind of buzz, even though you're obviously a couple hundred miles away. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Josh. I would have to take, I think Kansas repeats. That's where I was about a week ago. Uh-huh. And then I watched Houston again, and I think Houston's going to win the Final Four in Houston, and that's only because I'm a homer and I'm going to be there. <laughs> so shout out to Houston. I do think Kelvin Sampson gets his first national title this year. I could right. very easily see that being the case. Also, Kansas just lost to Kansas State in overtime, so no fun for me there. Oh, really? I haven't had a chance to watch that yet or catch that yet. So thank you for oh, uh, sorry. Sorry if I spoiled no, 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 that for you. No, no. I don't. I don't know. I wanted to know. Like I was the first thing I was going to do was check all the scores I missed tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Get plugs in really quick. Uh, everything will be in the description below as well uh, as I, with the three, the way Zoom does it, I'm going to figure out the best way to put it on the screen. But uh, it'll be on the screen for the most part on YouTube. It'll be all in the description below, your individuals, your uh, joint stuff. But anything you want to plug, anything that's coming out soon, anything you want to say, um, go right ahead and we'll get out of here. All right. Um to plug the podcast, obviously, we are the Queen City Control Room podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. Um, I think there's a couple of other platforms, but those are generally the first three that people listen to us on. As far as our social, as far as our socials go, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Queen City CTRLRM. Um, putting out fresh content daily on the social media. And our episodes drop Monday mornings at six. So you want to give us a follow, like subscribe, let us know how we're doing. Would really appreciate it. Yeah. Well said. I think you got it all. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for your time. Uh, obviously we went, uh, we said an hour and we had a lot of fun. So thank you for uh, being uh, transparent with, and, and being able to hang out for a little bit longer. Um, don't forget to, this is for my plugs, I guess. I got to make sure I still do those. Uh, two Pointers Podcasts uh, or Two Pointers on every social media platform. It'll all be linked below as well. Um, two Pointers uh, in your cart, wenergy.com or link in the description below to try W Energy products. Uh, this has been the Two Pointers Podcast. I'm Trevor Everett on behalf of Josh and Nick. We'll see you later. Bye.